Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello and welcome to The Transfer Window, the podcast to bring the news before it becomes news. We give you insight and analysis into all the subjects you're talking about in football. I'm in McGarry and joining me as always is our transfer guru, Duncan Castles. Today we are updating you with the very latest breaking news regarding Paul Pogba and Manchester United, as well as other matters concerning Liverpool, Chelsea and Tottenham. So Paul Pogba, Duncan, has uh, been in the headlines again um, ahead of uh, their match with RB Leipzig, which is a make or break in terms of being first in the qualification for the group. And of course, it is our old friend, Bino Raiola, uh, his agent, who has been making um, statements in newspaper in Italy with regard to Pogba's future. I'm pretty sure all the listeners are well aware of what Raiola has said. What we can bring you, which is uh, the latest on this, is that it's our understanding that there have been conversations on at least three occasions between Paris Saint-Germain and Pogba's representative, Mina Raiola, regarding the possibility of a move to Paris either in January or next summer. We also understand that Paris are keen to pursue this particular move, not just because Pogba obviously is idolised as a World Cup winner for his nation, uh, but also because their hopes of retaining their star striker, Kylian Mbappe, and keeping out of the reaches of Real Madrid, at least temporarily, they believe will be enhanced if Pogba joins uh, PSG and the two can link up once more. Uh, That seems slightly optimistic, Duncan, given the lure of Madrid and the fact that uh, we've long said on the podcast that Mbappe's ambition is indeed to play at the Santiago Bernabeu. However, with regards to Pogba joining PSG, um, I think we've both uh, discussed and had have been told that the economic climate in Spain and La Liga makes it difficult uh, for either Barcelona, certainly, uh, and Madrid, probably, to be able to raise the kind of funds that they would need to buy Pogba, even though... Uh, He's probably going to be available at a reduced price, and I say reduced, which is less than the 100 million euros that Manchester United paid for him from Juventus four years ago. So in that case, do we believe that Pogba would accept a move to Ligue 1? Because even though, uh, without being disrespectful, it would look like a step down from playing in the Premier League and certainly not as prestigious as playing in the Liga. Yeah, let's break it down bit by bit. So as you say, Mini Raiola in that interview to Tuto Sport um, dropped a bomb. Uh, not, not an unsurprising bomb because he's done this thing 
before. Um, the timing, I think, not unsurprising either, given that Pogba had had his best moment of this season and there haven't been many great moments for him this season and the, the goal superb goal he scored to turn around Manchester United's 1-0 deficit um, at West Ham United at the weekend with the aid of um, some very dubious officiating that David Moyes complained uh, in detail about but uh, Pogba having talked to Man United television after the match and explained that uh, his performances this season had been affected by COVID, um, that he couldn't breathe properly, um, that he couldn't last through the 90 minutes, that he'd, he'd promised um, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer that he would start the first game of the season, but um, that it didn't work out for him. And then saying that, uh, that, that he feels himself again, that he found his rhythm, he felt he could control the game, which I think is questionable actually on the, the performance against West Ham United. That he was a team player and as long as the team wins, that's the most important, you know. Raula comes out and says, it's over for Paul Pogba at Manchester United. Pointless beating around the bush. Better to be straight up about it. He's not going to sign a new contract. Um, and therefore, I think the best thing is for all parties is a sale. Otherwise, United, who we have a great relationship with, know very well they'd risk losing him for free, given the player has no intention of extending. If someone doesn't understand that, they understand little or nothing about football, which strikes me as a sentence that could be directed um, at Ed Woodward given his tendency to hang on to players and uh, not manage to sell them at the right moment. But, you know, the, the framework has been placed there once again by Raiola. Pogba is unhappy. He wants out. Let me negotiate a move elsewhere. What options does he have? Well, Real Madrid have been the candidate club for a long time, but that is based on Zinedine Zidane. Zidane's position at Madrid is tenuous. That coupled with the financial situation, the struggles that we documented in detail about Madrid make it difficult for him to go there unless there's going to be a large discount on the transfer fee. Juventus have an interest. Always when you ask people at Juventus, would they want to take Paul Pogba back? They're very careful not to shut the door on that proposal because of how he played for them. Clearly the most successful part of his club playing career. But they also say very expensive, very difficult to do. The circumstances would have to be right. Um, you can't really see an option for him in England. We know that Raiola. Uh, famously tried to sell him to Manchester City uh, during his early years at Manchester United to receive uh, um, a withering response um, from Pep Guardiola. Therefore, where else is there in European football forum? France, there's only one club. It's Paris Saint-Germain. And, and what you mentioned about Kylian Mbappe and this idea that Paris Saint-Germain want to explore um, whether they could use bringing Pogba uniting two individuals who have a very close personal relationship who get on very well, obviously being extremely successful in the national team together, as a way to convince Mbappe that it's worth staying longer at PSG is an intriguing one. We reported on the podcast some months ago that Mbappe had informed Paris Saint-Germain that his intention was to leave in the coming summer, that when he would have one year left on his contract, that he did not want to stay long-term at Paris. So basically prepare yourself. This is your opportunity to sell at a significant transfer fee. 
um, that my intention is to leave. The clubs he is particularly interested in moving to, Real Madrid, Barcelona, both with financial difficulties, Liverpool, and also he's told friends that he likes Manchester United. Now, can that be done this summer? Well, Manchester United, I think, have the financial wherewithal to do it at any time if they decide that um, that deal is the one they want to do above all others. They, They can structure a move like that. Liverpool... We know how their finances are at present. We know the efforts FSG have made to try and improve their finances by um, uh, laying off or using uh, government schemes to reduce their wage costs. Um, We know that there's a battle going on at the moment between Klopp and FSG over recruiting a new centre-back in January, something we'll talk about more later in the podcast. Mbappe would be a scale of transfer way beyond anything FSG have done before. Then you go to Madrid and Barcelona. Madrid's um, desire is clear cut. They've targeted this player for a long time. They thought they had him before um, he moved to PSG. He backed out of that deal and decided that strategically for his career, it was better to stay in France at this stage before moving to Spain at a later date. Barcelona's finances are a mess. it's a very open discussion about what happens there, which will be dependent on the outcome of the presidential election, who comes in, who they want to use as coach, how much they do about director of football, general strategy, and what they do in the transfer market. So I think add all of that together, and there, there, there does, because of COVID, seem to be an opportunity for PSG to retain Mbappe for that extra year of his contract. Maybe they can convince Mbappe that it's better for him to wait one more year um, and leave as a free agent. Obviously, what they're attempting to do here is to get him to sign a new contract. Um, I'm told by friends of his he wants to listen and get a a better understanding of of what PSG's general strategy is, their sporting strategy. And you have this talk uh, generated by Neymar uh, just a few days ago that uh, that they might go for Lionel Messi, something that Leonardo has been careful not to rule out, but also careful to downplay. So that there are question marks about where PSG are going. Um, trying to bring Pogba into the picture is intelligent. I think Firmino Raiola um, trying to get Paris Saint-Germain involved in negotiations and proposing offers is also intelligent because it gives him a bit more scope uh, to work with Manchester United. Um, I think what's interesting also is whether this is actually could prove to be helpful to Uli Gunnar Solskjaer. Because we've seen time and time again with Manchester United this reluctance to sell assets at discounted values. That's why they've got an over. Uh, bloated squad at the moment. That's why players like Phil Jones and Marcus Rojo are still at the club picking up huge salaries. Um, Sergio Romero, also a similar situation. And unused goalkeeper players are being excluded from Champions League squads, paying paid very high wages because in a couple of those occasions, Woodward has decided to give those players new contracts because he thought he could sell them at a decent price. 
that consideration has been there with Pogba and also the consideration that they could somehow turn around a character who has caused problems throughout his time at the club at intermittent stages. And I think, Ian, you can talk a bit about the, the issues that have been in the dressing room with him recently. Um, what Raiola is saying, if you take it at face value and if he sticks to it, is it's over, Ed. You're not getting a new contract for, for this player. You're not going to be able to fix this situation. So don't ask Solskjaer to try and repair the relationship in the way you have done. Don't ask um, any other manager, as you did with Mourinho, to try and repair the relationship and get the best out of them. That's not going to happen. If you don't let him go in January at a, a, a price that a suitor can afford or in the summer, we will wait 18 months and you'll lose him for nothing. I think that helps Solskjaer. Okay, he's got a problem individual to manage until the sale happens, but he can now legitimately say to Woodward, look, this is out of my hands. I can't deal with this individual. You've seen other managers struggle to deal with this individual. We need to sell him. I leave it to you to get a decent price for him and let's buy, use that money in areas of the team where I want investment, um, centre-back being one of those right-wing being another of the primary positions he's been looking at in the last summer and is looking at for this window and the next summer as well, whenever they can find the right deal. So, so maybe there's a silver lining for Solskjaer in the directness of what Raul has said, although the timing, of course, is horrendous going into this crucially important game against Leipzig this evening in the Champions League. Well, Duncan, um, I've spoken to a couple of sources very close to the Manchester City dressing room and to Solskjaer himself, and a very firm impression that I have uh, been given is that Solskjaer is kind of given up now on Pogba. Um, he feels like he's invested a lot of time uh, and a lot of energy into trying to motivate him to play and to reignite his Manchester United career, and that has clearly failed uh, to have any serious effect on his form, and that, as far as he's concerned, whatever the club do now, he isn't really concerned because he doesn't believe that the player wants to be there. Um, I've also been told that his um, attitude in training is poor. Uh, he turns up for some sessions motivated and clearly wanting to perform and do well. And then on other occasions, other days, uh, he doesn't have any consistency to that particular application of his talent, etc. Uh, so see pretty, his... pretty much the same as we see on the pitch when we watch his games. Yes, Duncan, definitely, yeah. And you see from his stats as well, the amount of games that he started and even appeared in in this Premier League season so far, and his uh, performance-related stats are poor, especially for a player who is supposed to be a game-changer, a game-influencer, someone who manages matches from midfield. And it's just not been the case. And that suggests, as Raiola said about Pogba, an unhappy player, a player who does not want to be uh, where he is right now, and a player who wants a change of scenery, Change of air, I think, was one of the phrases Raula used in the Tutusport uh, interview. And I can see that being the case. Now, interestingly, someone who knows 
Pogba from when he was at, in Manchester United's academy said something interesting to me in which he said, the day that Pogba walked out of Manchester United as a teenager, he fell out of love with the club. And since he's come back, he never fell, never fell back in love with the club. It's, he said, I've never, I've never felt like he wanted to be here uh, or that he was committed to making this club a success. There's always been that drop-off in form or that sullenness about him, uh, which you don't expect from a world-class player because when you are a player of his quality, you commit everything and you make things happen. But with Pogba, it's very, very stop-start. And that suggests to me, as I was told, um, that this is a guy who doesn't really feel at home at Manchester United. Um, where he feels at home, I, I have no idea. Obviously, he had a very successful spell at Juventus, but I do get the firm impression from the people I've spoken to that Pogba is a player who's looking for a new project. And Raiola has very conveniently confirmed that and outlined it, and now is obviously pursuing that agenda with regards to getting him out of there. So apart from uh, Pogba, Duncan, there are issues elsewhere in the Manchester United squad that need to be resolved. As you've already referred to, there are players who are being uh, rewarded with very uh, lucrative wages who are not even featuring in matchday squads. Uh, it's a very difficult and will be a very challenging market in January with regards to disposal of players, especially ones who are well paid and under contract. If Manchester United are to improve in terms of their performances and form, because they have been very inconsistent, regardless of what Solskjaer would like to have us believe, um, four defeats at home, despite the very successful run they're on away from home, um, they need to, to um, either dispose of players in order to buy, or it's certainly strengthen as well. How do you see the next mm, eight weeks going? Well, I can tell you that they are in the market for a left-footed centre-back still, as they were in the summer. Um, ideally, younger. Um, younger the better was a phrase that was, was mentioned to me. But they want someone who can play immediately and come into the team immediately. And that, obviously, the thinking is to solve Harry Maguire the problem they've had with his um, lack of pace and positional issues is to bring a quick left-sided centre-back in to play alongside him and improve the defence overall. Um, the context is that they have six senior centre-backs in the squad and they would like to, to dump at least two of those if they can. Um, Phil Jones and Marcus Rojo being the two um, they particularly want to move out. Uh, Jones is contracted until 2023, so that is not going to be a, an easy um, sale or loan, um, particularly if Woodward insists on getting a good financial deal out of it. Rojo, again, has suitors, as he's had in, uh, in basically every one of the last several windows in which he's been in this situation. 
but he is out of contract in the summer. Therefore, um, United are obviously going to have to compromise on that deal if if they're going to get someone to take him. They can't r- realistically expect a transfer fee and they'll probably have to subsidise wages to move Rojo out. I'm told there is interest from at least one other Premier League club, but again, financially um, difficult uh, to get the compromise that will suit Edward. They also have Luke Shaw, who um, Solskjaer has used quite often on the left side of a of a of a three when he uses a, a five man defence. So effectively seven senior centre backs, but hoping to upgrade again in central defence to round out that that squad. Questions over Eric Bailly, who is contracted until twenty twenty two, whether they would seek to use him as as a, an individual that they could raise money from um, who has more interest, uh, significantly more interest from other clubs than Jones or all, um, should they be bringing that new player in. Um, but look, it's a, it's a very similar story to, to what we've heard from United previously. Um, they target these positions and say they're prepared to do deals, um, but quite often they they find them um, hard to actually complete. And one of the big factors is Woodward being prepared to take losses on deals, which is something we've just been discussing with Paul Pogba. I think it's even more important in the case of, of Jones and Rojo. From Manchester United to a club who are surprising some people, but maybe not as surprising as some would have thought, and that's Chelsea and their uh, current position, which is challenging for the Premier League title. Uh, A lot of people believed at the start of the season that despite the investment, uh, heavy investment, and indeed the most expensive investment of the summer in the squad, that still they would need time to gel and settle and therefore challenge. However, Frank Lampard seems to be doing a very, very good job. And it has to be said that the club are willing to back him in that. Now, we have been told at the transfer window that um, a very prominent agent has been given a mandate to sell, uh, if possible, or certainly um, put out on loan uh, two players, if not more, and the, those are the um, out-of-favour goalkeeper, Kepa Arithabalaga, as well as Anthony Rudiger, who started only one Premier League game this season, the um, German international centre-back. And that is in order to raise money for a bid for Declan Rice, a transfer which we have long been talking about here on the podcast. and. Uh, in order uh, for Frank Lampard to continue and press and increase the club's chances of challenging for the Premier League title, he believes that Rice could be the final piece of the jigsaw. Um, Duncan, as we've said, there is a difficulty in the market in terms of disposing of players, especially ones that are highly paid. Um, However, it's interesting to see Chelsea uh, showing as much faith in Lampard in his second season, both in the way that they have invested in the squad already, but 
in the fact that they will or they are prepared to invest again in January. Um, the word I got from the agent um, who has been mandated to sell players out of Stamford Bridge when asking them about Chelsea's chances of recruiting Declan Rice was, I think the owners of West Ham would happily take the money for Rice if they can get the right price for him in this window. So there's obviously a door opening there as far as Chelsea are concerned. And it looks like it's a case of maybe they just need to um, bite the bullet and take a, a, a cut price deal on two players who they paid a lot of money for. I think Kepa is a particularly difficult one for them because goalkeepers don't get games when they're, when they're sidelined. You can't use them off the bench. You can't give them um, an opportunity to play unless the first choice you've put in um, and you know Lampard had to battle hard to get Edward Mendy brought into the club and to give himself a goalkeeper he trusted. But uh, unless he gets injured, um, that's the door closed for Kepa. And every week, every game he goes without playing, his value decreases. So you can see a scenario where Chelsea, if they can't get the transfer fee they want for for Kepa, and I think there's no chance whatsoever of them getting uh, the record world record transfer fee they paid to bring Kepa to Stamford Bridge back that they loan the player just to get him out um, to, to allow him to rebuild his confidence to allow him to play and to allow him to attract suitors in the summer window when there, there might be more money to play with um, Rudiger clearly will have a value um, and there are there would be a sale to be made for Rudiger um, but as you say it's a difficult market and and then it's a question of whether they're prepared to compromise on a fee that they can get now for um, the German international in order to invest that in another area of the team um, that Lampard has, has prioritised you know, I, I guess I would, um, I would uh, say that you have to treat this with a bit of caution and that it, it could be Marina Granovskaya testing the market out to see if there is a deal available for them on Rudiger um, just in case so that, so they can get the money in and uh, and try and do Declan Rice and take advantage of, of West Ham's financial uh, situation. Certainly they delivered in the summer on much of what Lampard wanted. Um, there was a big struggle to get there and Lampard has, has returned um, with much improved performances and a more coherent um, fashion of playing from his team. We see a, a, a sort of almost new fashion, Duncan, in the market, um, which is uh, loans with obligations to buy, which, if you like, is a kind of, you know, it's a, it's a win-win situation for both parties. If the player does well, then the obligation to buy clause can be deployed um, they get them at the market price, which was available when he they took them on loan. Obviously, even though his value has increased, having played well for his loan club. Um, if not, then he didn't play well. Then he goes back to his parent club, and uh, they have to start all over again. I think with Kepa, that's certainly going to be the case. As you said, a goalkeeper needs to play, needs to prove himself. 
um, from things I've heard from the Chelsea camp, uh, he has accepted the fact that he is on the bench quite well. He's training well. He's very professional. But he feels within himself that his best opportunity would be to go out on loan uh, in January, preferably back to Spain um, to more uh, obviously comfortable environment for him uh, to play, prove himself and then see what happens in the summer window with regards to a permanent move, whether that was to the loan club he joins or whether it was to another club in La Liga. And that would be something which uh, I think would be uh, attractive to Chelsea in the sense that uh, the player gets playing time, puts himself in the, the short window, um, even though they would have to pay uh, some of his £200,000 a week wages, because uh, that would not be something which certainly outside of maybe the top three, top four clubs in Spain who aren't looking for a goalkeeper anyway, um, would not be able to afford. But at least he would be there performing. And if performs well, then they could see him move next summer and amortise the £71 million that they paid for him to join Chelsea, as well as the contract which he currently earns, uh, £200,000 a week. Um, obviously, Edward Mendy is first choice. That's not going to change anytime soon, given his uh, he has equal better checks opening spell um, as Chelsea goalkeeper um, in terms of clean sheets and uh, lack of goals conceded. Um, better check, we should also just say, is also on the goalkeeping road at Chelsea still. And you kind of get the impression that if Frank Lampard had to make a choice if Mendy was suspended or injured, he might actually put check and goal in front of, <laughs> in front of Kepa. So um, that kind of says a lot in itself. Um, with Rudiger, um, again, there is that option to do to, to the loan to obligation to buy. There certainly is interest in Germany in the Bundesliga in him, uh, as well as uh, from some clubs in Spain. Uh, I, but again, as I said, um, maybe the most important thing for Chelsea is it's not quite um, taking a transfer fee now or getting rid of these players on a sale. Is being able to amortise their um, value and contracts so that they can go out and buy Declan Rice and said uh, complete Frank Lampard's jigsaw and say right we've given you everything you want go for the title um, and in doing so obviously uh, they will justify the outlay. So Chelsea challenging for the title, Duncan, but Liverpool obviously trying to defend their title and they are a club who have suffered, you could argue, more than most with regards to injuries uh, within this COVID-ridden time that we find ourselves in, as well as the fact that the players uh, did not have a proper pre-season. We've heard much from Jurgen Klopp on fixture congestion and fatigue amongst his squad, but still, they've been impressive in terms of their performances. Now, we did report on the podcast uh, three weeks ago that there was a bit of friction between Klopp and the transfer committee stroke board at the club with regards to recruiting in January. That is our understanding uh, remains. 
uh, and that Klopp is uh, still intent uh, or certainly wants to recruit a centre-back in January uh, and possibly one more player as well. Um, but Duncan, your information is that um, their director of football, Michael Edwards, um, has decided on a different policy, if you like, and that is that given the performances of certain players, uh, that they will kind of suck it and see. Yeah, not so much a different policy. I think they're, they're waiting. Uh, my information is they're waiting to see what happens for this last month before the January window opens, before committing to following that strategy that Jurgen Klopp would like of bringing in a quality centre-back to compensate for the, the, the losses of Virgil van Dijk to a cruciate ligament rupture and um, Joe Gomez to a patellar tendon uh, rupture or whether to try and brazen it out till the end of the season. Um, they believe, and I think we now have good evidence for that, that um, Joe Matip and Fabinho is a good combination at centre-back which can produce acceptable results. And, and you have to say Liverpool's response to these injuries with Trent Alexander all also um, out uh, for a period has been incredibly impressive to be joint top of the Premier League, to already be through to the next round of the, the Champions League, to have lost just one game um, during this period where the, the resources have been under strain uh, is testament to what Jurgen Klopp's doing and to his ability to integrate younger players, backup players into that very effective system that he's built there. And and that, I'm told, is part of the reasoning at Liverpool. Um, they went into this summer talking about internal transfers, i.e. taking players from their academy and um, putting them into the first team and allowing them to develop there. And that, they feel, is starting to, to reward them. You look at the performances of Curtis Jones, you have uh, Quivine Kelleher, uh, a goalkeeper um, producing some great saves to secure points for them or keep them ahead in games. Um, and you have you know young backups coming into defensive positions and, and some of them performing sufficiently well. So they will go through this month, I'm told, see if that continues, see if the, the performances and results continue before making a decision. They could switch the other way. They're, they're leaving it open that they do go for a top player in the January market and Dio Upamecano at Leipzig is the, is the top option, as you reported um, several weeks ago. But I think it underlines Fenway Sports Group position that they would prefer to not have to spend again, that, um, that COVID has been very difficult for the club. They don't have, despite very good financial results for several years, they don't have a lot of liquid cash on their accounts. So it, it's from an accounting perspective, it's problematic for them to, to spend now. And FSG's position remains, if we can avoid doing this, if you, Jürgen, can get um, sufficiently good performances out of the players in the squad, let's go for that and see if we can get through this season um, and win another title with a restricted squad um, rather than 
make that big investment in the January market when it's hard to do so. And Upamecano is, you know, a point in case he does have a release clause, but the release clause comes into effect in the summer. Um, therefore, to do that deal in January would be far more expensive for Liverpool than it would be if they wait, convince the player um, to come in the in the close season and uh, and get through this season with the resources they have. I think what might be important here, um, obviously results are important, but I think what might be particularly important is the game against Tottenham next midweek because that's a head-to-head between the two teams at the top of the table um, with uh, the opportunity there if Liverpool beat Tottenham to break some of the psychological momentum they've built up uh, to establish a three-point lead at the top, assuming both teams win this weekend. Uh, and, um, I, I, you know, you can see why they would want to wait to see when one can their players get through this period in, in, in shape um, without further injuries to, to those key uh, defensive players and two, whether they can stay at the top or build a, a gap at the top of the division, which, um, which allows them a bit of um, leeway uh, for the rest of the season. I would say, Duncan, that from a recruitment point of view, um, this is a bit of a risky tactic because, um, first of all, yes, the January window is open for one month. Um, however, if you wait until you see results, then the possibility is, given the complexity of transfers, that you might not get the player that you've targeted um, or you might not get the player until near the end of January, by which point he may well have missed the opportunity to play in four, five, six games, which are crucial to your season. Um, I would be very surprised if Liverpool's recruitment department have not had it impressed on them by Jurgen Klopp that this is not necessarily the right way to go about this. Um, therefore, they should be still working on the possibility of transfers uh, on the basis that uh, if FSG do decide to invest, then at least they've got the potential deals in place uh, for, to augment the squad and ensure that uh, the, the team itself has the strength and depth that it needs to continue to defend the Premier League title. Um, and also, I'm reminded a little bit of Antonio Conte after um, he won the title with Chelsea. Uh, you remember, Duncan, that uh, he went to war with Marina Gravskaya and, say, well, Chelsea board, saying he had earned the right to be able to, to get players in that he wanted because he had gone with their choices the season before, but he had made the right decisions in terms of um, his team selections and tactics to bring the uh, Premier League title back to Stamford Bridge. And therefore, it was now time for him to have overall say in terms of transfers. And I wouldn't be surprised if Jurgen Klopp feels the same way with regards to you know, a first title in 30 years for Liverpool, 
And although he's a different personality from Conte, who's very abrasive and confrontational, I'm sure Klopp can be that as well. But uh, Klopp's more of a kind of, you know, smiling assassin, whereas Conte's more the gun-in-your-face type assassin. Um, but he will be saying, well, look, what more do you want me to do? I, you know, we've won the Champions League and the Premier League in the space of 12 months. So why wouldn't you give me what I need and what I think that this club requires in order to make it even more successful than I have made it already? I don't think we're going to see Jurgen Klopp behaving like Antonio Conte did in the public sphere. I think he's too intelligent and smart in his in his words. Uh, oh, I, all, think all, with, I think we saw it with Chris Wilder, didn't we? Uh, for all, he gets angry with um, with journalists and broadcasters and opposition managers and can be petulant and uh, look for excuses when results go against them. I think he is very good at maintaining the important relationships with uh, employers. Um, he, he is not an Antonio Conte who um, it's his way and if you go against his way then he will walk out of the club as he did at, at Juventus um, during pre-season for example um, or pick huge fights as he, as he did at Chelsea and Inter and uh, you know led to a situation where Chelsea were happy to see him go and a situation where Inter would have been happy to see him go uh, in the summer if they could have afforded or if they felt they were legally safe uh, enough to dismiss him without having to pay massive compensation. To be clear, my information is that Liverpool are working on these alternative deals. It's not the case that they're sitting back and saying, um, we wait to see what happens with our players before we start working on the transfers. It's more, we wait and see whether we have to push the button on these transfers. Can we get away with it? Because FSG and would like to get away without having to spend. No question that the optimal solution is to recruit. But Liverpool's books are not in a position where they can go and do what you'd expect Abu Dhabi and Manchester City to do in a situation like this, which is we need a player to um, give us the best chance possible of retaining the title or winning uh, a major trophy. Let's go and spend the money required now because money is not an issue to us. FSG don't work that way. FSG own Liverpool to make profit. Um, in the long term, they don't take money out year to year, but the idea is they're building an asset which has massively more value than the price they paid for it. And at some point down the line, they will take big profits from that. Um, so they they operate with economics in mind. And this is what we're seeing here is very much that economic thinking. Can we avoid spending? How, is the squad good enough? Are your talents as a manager, which you've demonstrated to us, good enough to get us through this season and uh, and retain the Premier League title without having to spend it on a on a centre back in January? Maybe FSG could ask Manchester City for a Christmas present. Then just please don't <laughs> ask for John Stones. Two clubs least likely to give each other Christmas presents. I mean, I think I think only Paris, no, I think United, Qatar, United and Abu Dhabi are the, the only the only less likely Christmas present list than that one. Speaking of Christmas presents, we're going to dish out our Heroes and Villains Awards for the first podcast of this week. Um, it's been um, there's been a lot of controversy over the last few days. 
in many ways. We're not going to mention VAR because we know that uh, we do it a lot. Um, so uh, even though it's something close to my heart with regards to the penalty given against Brighton on Monday night uh, was ridiculous. Uh, however, Duncan, uh, I will ask you for your hero because I think it's something which maybe maybe wasn't quite as much appreciated as some people uh, would have thought um, with regards to a certain Mason Greenwood. Yeah, I think I think he is the hero of the week for that goal that um, cemented uh, Manchester United's turnaround win, one of several turnaround wins they've had this season at West Ham United. Pogba just scored, um, and I will mention VAR here, with the benefit of VAR not intervening when the ball had, uh, had gone out um, from... Uh, from Dean Henderson's clearance. But that goal from, you know, it was an amazingly difficult ball that came in just to control. Uh, and as Michael Owen um, commented, and I think Michael Owen's analysis is, is, has improved this season and he's doing some really good and interesting technical analysis on scoring goals and, and, the, and the art and skill of being a striker. He, he said he could not believe that Greenwood got the ball into the net with just two touches. Never mind, couldn't believe that he could get a shot off in two touches to control a ball that was up in the air, hit at pace, hit behind him, bring it down onto his foot to get a shot away and a, and a high quality shot was just um, top quality striking that maybe is not as obvious as it should be because it, it wasn't a spectacular goal. It was just doing something that was extremely difficult to do at a very important point in the match. As Gary Neville has commented this week, Manchester United are a, a team that seem to have a lot of game changers, a lot of individuals capable of brilliance, but they don't really have a coherent pattern to the way they play. And uh, and Greenwood, at, during a period when he's had a, certainly his hardest uh, time as a, as a first team player for Manchester United to deliver that, I think underlines his quality as a footballer and why he has all the technical app attributes to establish himself as the best uh, English striker in the game in the coming years. I was reminded of the great Mikhail Baryshnikov, Duncan, and he did not play number nine for Russia. For uh, anyone who <laughs> wants to check that reference out, please just Google him, as we do in the modern world. Um, I'm going to do the villains of this week, and the villains are, and they can't be anyone else, and that's Millwall fans, but not only Millwall fans. The Millwall coaching staff, Gary Rowe and all the staff who did not take a knee, along with the Derby bench who did in their game last weekend. Millwall fans, uh, as it's been uh, very well reported, uh, booed their own players for taking a knee um, on the basis that they believe that clearly they don't agree with Black Lives Matter or indeed recognising the uh, fight for social justice and racial equality. We hope you've enjoyed listening to today's pod. Uh, we will be back uh, later this week on Friday. Um, if you have liked what you heard, then please leave a five-star review on iTunes. You can also subscribe to the Transfer Window podcast on YouTube, turn on, on your, no your notifications, and you will be the first to find out when the new pod has been delivered to you. 
Also, join the discussion. There's a lot of debate, uh, a lot of things to chat about, which, as you know, we like to engage and have that chat with you guys. So please do get in touch. Uh, You can find us on at Transfer Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And also individually, Duncan is at Duncan Castles. I'm at Garbo SJ. And we look forward to hearing from you. That's it for today's pod. Uh, All I have to say is thanks for listening and stay safe and be well. (laughs) 